You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you inspiration and resources to help you discover and live from your truest self. Follow along on social media at Collected Workshops, and be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and to learn more. The Collected Podcast is sponsored by Clean Juice, a certified organic nutrition and wellness bar with more than 100 locations in development in 16 states. Learn more at cleanjuice.com. Welcome to episode 28 of The Collected Podcast. I'm Michaela Hooper. I'm Jess Biondo. And I'm Tia McNelly. All right, Jim Martin from IJM, International Justice Mission. Bucket list interview. Wow. I've known of IJM for quite some time now. And from start to finish, I was locked in. There were so many nuggets that he shared that mm-hmm. I I was like, wow, like I, I would want to work for IJM simply to be a part of their team yeah. and be led by right. somebody like Jim. He talked a lot about spiritual formation because that's a huge part of what he does. Yeah. And you can tell when somebody is um, aware of the value of investing mm-hmm. in their leadership. And Jim spoke on that. Yeah. Like it was woven all throughout his interview. So I, I'm just excited for you listeners to hear Jim share. So so here's our interview with Jim Martin. Hey, Jim, welcome to The Collected Podcast. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. We are so excited to have you. And um, before we get into your story and how you ended up where you're at today, um, will you start by telling our listeners what you do? Yeah, I work for an organization called International Justice Mission, and I serve, uh, I've been there for about 11 years, and I currently serve as the VP of Spiritual Formation for the organization. That's so cool. What does that mean? <laughs> it's a great question. <laughs> it's, a, it's an inward-facing role that provides for the care and rhythms uh, that keep our staff healthy in the midst of the challenging work that they do. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. So give our listeners sort of a broad picture of the work that IJM is involved with. I've been following you for years and years, but um, some people might not know the work that you're up to. Yeah, sure. So we are the largest anti-slavery organization in the world, and our main purpose is to protect the poor from violence. Mm -hmm. So we have offices all over the developing world, uh, 18 to 20, depending on how you count them, offices uh, in the developing world that are doing the work of directly intervening between the oppressor and the poor around the world. So victims of slavery, sex trafficking, unprosecuted sexual assault, victims of police violence, uh, our staff around the world are engaging in, um, in these situations and bringing relief to victims and recovery to victims, long-term aftercare recovery to victims, and then actually pursuing legal cases against those who are perpetrating these crimes and then wrapping all of that work together into a justice system transformation project that will help the public justice systems uh, in the developing world function the way they were intended so IGM doesn't need to be there long term. Love it. It's completely sustainable and holistic. It's incredible. Well, by God's grace, uh, we've gotten to see some amazing things happen over uh, – the organization has existed for 20 years now. I've been with IGM for 11 um, and there really have been some miraculous things that have happened in that time. We're just super grateful. For sure. Um, do you have a particular story of, of one such miracle that you've witnessed during your time with IGM? 
Well, I would say this idea that you can actually uh, work with local public justice system officials to see their justice system transform so that they actually begin to function mm-hmm. is um, was sort of the hallmark of my kind of arriving at IJM. We sort of knew this was happening, but hadn't had the opportunity to document it yet. And so in uh, right about 2008, 2009, as I was joining, we were finishing up a project in Cebu, which is the second largest uh, metropolitan area in the Philippines. And our goal had been to see if we could reduce the overall trafficking of minors by 20% in the project area, in this large metropolitan area, uh, in the brothel systems there. And this is the kind of thing that just wasn't measurable before IJM started measuring it. Mm. So we ran a project there for four years. Uh, we We did a baseline study to determine the level of victimization of minors before we started our work there. And then through four years of work, we had a set of modest goals in conjunction with local public justice system officials, so uh, police and social workers and the court system. Um, and we hit all those goals. And then at the end of four years, when we remeasured the level of victimization, we didn't see a 20% reduction. We saw a 79% Whoa. reduction wow. in the number of minors available for trafficking in just four years. Wow. And so that was um, that was really quite remarkable. It exceeded our own expectations. Incredible. And since then, we've been able to repeat those results in metropolitan Manila and in this area of the Philippines called Angeles City. Uh, and so the, the Philippines national government is now taking these projects on full time. And IJM is no longer having to do that work in those areas. That is just incredible. Jim, you are doing such powerful things for the kingdom of God through IJM. And can you help us understand, how did you get here? How did you end up doing this work? And how did you discover your purpose? Yeah, I would say uh, through no fault of my own whatsoever. It all, <laughs> uh, it all goes back to um, the, the incredibly uh, extravagant goodness of God in my mm. life and the life of, uh, of those who seek to be faithful to him, I think. So mm. I grew up in a pretty crazy, dysfunctional family. Um, and it was uh, sort of non- nominally Christian, but by the time I was about 12, the whole thing was imploding. There was mm. like alcoholism that emerged and divorce. And uh, and then the whole family just sort of scattered. Um, mm. my, my mom moved away. My dad was not doing well. And so in the midst of that, my early teen years, I was just trying to figure out like how to live my life. I was going to school and uh, trying to figure out a good reason to wake up in the morning. Um, yeah. And then met this kid, a friend in high school, who uh, had a different kind of relationship with God than I'd ever experienced before, whose family just kind of took an interest in me and loved me. I started going to church with them, and I started reading the Bible, which I hadn't really done in my sort of childhood experience of, of faith, and read things like in John 10, where Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And I was like, oh, great, because that's what I'm after, <laughs> you know, what 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 seems to be going on doesn't appear to be very abundant. Right. Um, and so I was like, I was like, I'm all in. Wow. Um, went off to college, got involved in a, a college fellowship group and grew like a weed and just was seeking to be faithful to God. But from early on, it seemed like it was this, uh, it was this sort of all or nothing proposal, like what, what Jesus asks us for in return for abundant life is that we give up our life. Mm. Um, and so I was like, okay, you know, that's a, that's a fair trade. I think actually I win in that deal. Right. <laughs> um, and so uh, it's been this just like desire to be faithful. But I started my career actually as a junior high school math and science teacher. 
I was not headed off toward ministry. I was grateful, in fact, to like to be able to just land a job as a teacher and yeah. was happy to do it and, and really enjoyed it. Did it for four years and loved it. Wow. And I bet you never saw this coming at that point. No, no, not <laughs> at all. I think, uh, yeah, if you, if you ever went back to that kid at, you know, whatever age I was, 26, and said, you know, fast forward a couple of decades and you will have written a book and you'll be working for this organization that doesn't exist yet, I would be like, you're crazy. Wow. So interesting. You mentioned your book, The Just Church. Um, I read that book long before I really knew who you were and figured out that there were actually some connections with my with uh, my family members. And, oh, no kidding. Yeah, and the um, the Hubdi House in Juanico, Peru. That, oh, of course. That your church, um, I think you guys purchased the land and started building, correct? Yeah, we, we were able to purchase the land, but it was Hubdi that came in and was sort of the decisive... Um, the, the okay. site of the organization in the whole thing. So they're, they're the, all the credit for the house and what's on that property now goes to them. Gotcha. And so you, but you were a pastor at that time, right? So you went from being yeah. a teacher to a pastor for how long? I was a pastor for 10 years. So the, the weird linkage is uh, I was working as a teacher for four years. And then the organization that both my wife and I had been involved in as students um, called us and asked if we'd be interested in coming on staff. It's, uh, it was InterVarsity Christian Fellowship that provides college fellowship on secular campuses for students all over the country. And so we went back with InterVarsity to University of Massachusetts, which was our alma mater, and worked there for eight years. Wow. Um, and I thought this was just the greatest thing in the world, like that I was getting to do this and would, would have been happy to do it for the rest of my life. We learned so much and God was so gracious. Students were wonderful. Um, and then uh, around year seven or so, some friends that we had made in California where I had been teaching uh, were planting a church and they called and said, hey, you would be a great fit for this church. And so I ended up going out to California for 10 years as essentially as the mercy and justice pastor at this church plant in San Jose, California. Wow. And that those were the years in which I started to become familiar with IJM. Okay. So, yeah, so I kind of sparked a connection with you when I read in the book about about purchasing the land in Peru, and there was one particular part of the Just Church that um, struck a chord with me, and I know that you still kind of implement this process with your staff at IJM, um, and it's the idea of, of spiritual rest and solitude before work. Could you maybe share with us a little bit about um, how that works and, and why you've implemented that? Yeah, one of the th remarkable things about iJam is that the approach really from the beginning has been almost uh, sort of a monastic approach to work, where in the midst of rigorous and important work, there are spiritual rhythms that are built into it mm. uh, in order to keep everyone grounded mm, um, so and sort of open to the presence and reality of God. So we basically ask IJM staff all over the world to commit to four spiritual disciplines that they will practice as a member of the community. Two of them are daily, one's quarterly and one's annual. So the two daily disciplines are what we call stillness which uh, everybody shows up uh, at the office before work starts and sits for 30 minutes in silence in preparation for the work day. Incredible. So here in Washington, D.C., where I work, everybody shows up at 8.30, and the office is quiet from 8.30 to 9, and people are sitting in prayerful preparation for 
what's coming ahead of them in the workday. So they're wow. either reading their Bible, they're praying, they're journaling, um, they're they're doing whatever is whatever prayerful practice is going to be most helpful for them to prepare for work that day. That's incredible, especially in DC. I almost am seeing this like slow mo with a fury of activity all around your office <laughs> in DC. Yeah, yeah like, that's a great visual. Such a juxtaposition, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because, you know, the lights in the office are motion sensing. So like about 845, they start to shut off because no one's actually moving. It's kind of funny. That's great. Um, And if they are, then somebody's busted, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's been this beautiful practice. I mean, I came to IJM as someone who's already something of a spiritual disciplines junkie. But the idea of getting to live in a community where we're all going to support one another in these practices has been transformational. I mean, I think the thing that we would all say about this is no one morning of stillness is life-changing, but doing it every morning for 10 years absolutely is miraculous. Wow. Wow. I'm taking that one home. Um, That's it's been so, <laughs> so great, true. I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the second daily discipline is every day all of our offices stop work in the middle of the day for a half an hour of corporate prayer. So that's the time where everybody gathers in the largest conference room in whatever office you're in. And then we just raise whatever the issues are that are going on in the work. It could be local to whatever office you're in. It could be something that comes in from the outside. Um, and we'll just raise those things before God and uh, and ask God for help. We'll celebrate the miracles that have happened. And this is another practice that has just been such a great gift because not a day goes by where you're allowed to sort of forget that wow. the 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 one that bears the weight of all the work is actually God and not me. Mm, yeah, because this type of work that you're doing would be crushing if you didn't keep that in the forefront of your mind and in yeah, your heart. Yeah. Wow. So it's been extraordinarily helpful. And then once a quarter, we ask every all of our offices to do a quarterly prayer retreat, which the centerpiece of which is a like a two and a half hours or so of guided reflection after a little bit of teaching. So it's a another sort of slow down. Uh, and and contemplate kind of discipline. Uh, so all of our offices do those uh, once a quarter. And then uh, once a year, we'll ask all of our staff to take a personal retreat day. These are all paid, you know, the, the, two, the hour of prayer a day is a paid hour, the wow. half hour of stillness and the half hour of corporate prayer. And then the retreats are paid and then the personal retreat is paid as well. It's incredible. So we will give staff all kinds of, you know, if you've never taken a day long personal retreat before in silence, it can be a little overwhelming. So we do a bunch of training and provide yeah. people resources and things. Um, and then that's, that's it. So you make me want to work for IJM. (laughs) (laughs) Well, great. (laughs) It's incredible. But all of these practices, I love that no matter what business you're in, because we have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to the podcast, these are things that could be applied to any industry. Yeah. So true. You know? Yeah. Um, and make such a huge impact. Like we all need to be doing these things. Yes. And I, I mean, as soon as I, I read your description of these practices in the Just Church, I implemented it for myself and my teams because um, I regularly take teams of people to serve in Kenya. And mm. it makes such a difference to just pause before you rush off and start doing the work. Right. And we pause every morning together. But that was something very valuable that that I learned from that book and, and put into practice. So thank you for that. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. My goodness. You give great advice. So <laughs> what advice would you give to someone who's just getting started in ministry or um, work around justice and mercy? Wow. Um, 
Well, uh, we've already been over the, the spiritual disciplines territory. I would say um, if you haven't been someone who's been successful at figuring out how to live in a healthy rhythm of spiritual disciplines, then uh, do whatever you need to do to figure that out. Often the, the missing piece has been some form of community around that. Mm. Um, so if you were to find, say, 10 people who would commit to engaging in a daily discipline with you and that you would check in with each other, not to not to sort of police each other, but to encourage one another, um, that would go a, a huge long way. So That's if you great. could live in this rhythm of uh, not letting days go by where you could forget who the source and who the source of the work is and and where the weight of the work belongs. That, that I would say would be absolutely key. That's amazing. And then I, I think beyond that, it's tough for me. I mean, I, I, we have a great internship program at IJM and um, interns uh, are constantly asking great questions and seeking advice about career and all this kind of stuff. And my response to them is, Hey, I, I don't know that my career path is the one you want to follow. Cause I wasn't, <laughs> particularly thoughtful about this at all. Um, but I would say there are maybe three things that, um, that to me have been important along the way. And they have been kind of an expression of, um, of my faith in a God who has a plan for me, has a purpose for my life. And they, they would be these three things. One, you, especially for young people, you need to try to understand that God is way more trustworthy than you can possibly believe. Mm. So whatever wow. the thing that you're having trouble trusting God with is, then just let go of it. I mean, it, it sounds so easy to say, but what you're going to find out, you know, two or three decades down the road is, oh my goodness, God was all along so much more trustworthy than I could have even believed at the time. Mm. So there, there is no amount of faith that is too much to place in God's ability to be good to us. So That's God good. can be trusted with everything. Whatever life phase you're feeling stuck in, whatever, you know, whatever it is, God can be trusted with it. So that's thing number one. God is way more trustworthy than you can possibly imagine. Yeah. Thing number two, do what's in front of you. Do, do it to the best of your ability. Don't ever get caught in the trap that thinking things are beneath you um, or something is, you know, something is something you shouldn't have to do yourself or whatever. Just with full earnestness and, uh, and uh, yeah, and a clear heart, just do whatever is put in front of you. That's good. Um, and learn from it. And, and then the final it. thing is uh, th is this. It's not a freaking tightrope. <laughs> I, I spent so much of my young, so much of my 20s worrying that I was going to put one of my feet wrong, that I was sort of walking down this knife edge of faith, and that if somehow I put one of my feet wrong and fell off, I would never get back up. And it just turns out that God is way better than that and way more creative than that and way more good than that. And I'm, I'm not even sure at this point that all these career decisions I made that were all even right, but I was trying to be faithful. And I think God honored them um, and, and gave me far more than I could have asked for or imagined. So I think if we're trying to be faithful, we need to understand it's not a tightrope. Just make the best decision you possibly can in, in all good faith and trust that God is good. This episode of The Collected Podcast is again sponsored by our favorite juice bar, Clean Juice. And one of my favorite things about them is that they are committed to serving their guests the best products. And that means to them 100% organic, 
all the time. And there's such power in what we put in our bodies that influences our health and just how we feel on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. And so putting that fully organic product into you is going to really fuel you and give you the energy you need. Yeah. And one thing I love too, is they try to use local products when they can. So like one of the stores in our area has a board and it says blueberries and strawberries are from the hotel, like a local farmer. So they're even advocates for local business. And they haven't stopped innovating. I love that, that they just continue to try to do more and do better for their customers. Like recently, they even sent an email out with the new Dirty Dozen and Clean 15 list. So if you didn't get that, be sure to go and sign up for the Clean Juice email list at cleanjuice.com. And in the future, you will get helpful information like that. And if you still have not found a location, download the Clean Juice app and find one near you. As you reflect back on your life, what would you say is something hard that you've gone through that has been worth the struggle? Oh my goodness. Um, I would say that most of the hard things that I've, that I've chosen actually to lean into have been worth the struggle. Um, yeah. Let me think of something uh, in particular. Um, my, uh, I, yeah, I would say this, my dad, uh, my dad lived a hard life. He, uh, after my parents' divorce, never really quite got his feet back under him. Uh, he struggled with addiction his whole life. It ended his life earlier than I'm, I'm convinced earlier than his life otherwise mm-hmm. would have. He was in and out of jail at the end. Um, and it was just rough. It never, um, he just never got his feet back under him. And I spent so much of my twenties, especially afraid that the monster that had killed him was dormant inside of me. Oh, wow. Hmm. And so I, uh, through my 20s, did a lot of work, um, what, what I thought was healthy sort of introspective work to root out and kill the monster. Mm. And it, it wasn't particularly um, gentle. Like I, I wasn't, um, it, 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 I think it bore fruit by God's grace, but it, I, I wasn't particularly balanced in what I was willing to see in myself. It took me a long time to realize like the, the perspective of David in one thirty and Psalm one thirty nine, where he's able to say he is both fearfully, wonderfully, and wonderfully made, and his his soul knows that full well. And he's got you know at the end he asks God to search him and know his heart and see if there's any wicked way in him. Yeah, I didn't have any of that balance. All I was looking for was wickedness. Mm-hmm. That I, I couldn't admit anything that might be fearfully and wonderfully made about me, especially especially in those young years. So I would say. I'm not sure this is a completely clear answer to your question. That struggle to figure out um, how do I how do I learn the things that I need to learn and heal from the things that I've experienced so that I can I can really be free in Christ. I can really root my identity mm-hmm. as a child of God, not as a child of my dad, of my flawed dad. Wow. Hmm. Um, that was all worth the effort. It was particularly painful. And hard, but super, super worth it. And the big learning that came out of it, I think, or one of the big pieces that I learned was this idea that, oh my goodness, God did build into me some things that are fearfully and wonderfully put there, purposefully, you know, by a God who loves me and who is a good creator. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I really Mm -hmm. believe that that is for someone specific who's listening and wrestling through Mm -hmm. those same same kind of 
lies and thoughts and things that they're wrestling for with. sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. S- well so si- since you didn't um, necessarily have your dad as a as a spiritual role model, who would you say are maybe heroes of of the faith for you? Oh, I found people along the way. Um, you know, folks in my college Christian fellowship. Um, there was a guy when I started teaching. There was a guy in our church that I immediately sought out um, and said, "Hey, could we have coffee once a week? Um, it would be great to just." be able to talk with you. I don't have any agenda other than to say, can we talk about what's going on in life and, and faith? So I was always um, looking for people like that. And then there were these uh, sort of further away, bigger picture mentors. I remember um, in college, my wife, who was then uh, not my wife, but my friend uh, handed me this book by a guy named John Perkins, who's the founder of the Christian community development organization and a civil rights activist um, Christian from and that book was just radically transformative for me. I mean, it was the beginning of the of the road uh, that led to sort of the justice work that I've been involved in. But he was a huge um, he was a huge figure. I you know gotten to meet him, but I wouldn't say we, we were friends. But his book, his writing, and and his life have been hugely influential to me. And then I would say lately, the last ten years or so, Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits. Mm. Um, has been just enormously helpful to me in my job, believe it or not. Really? Okay. I just feel like this this uh, guy from the 1500s who was a, he, he was a Spanish knight uh, who was gravely injured and his convalescence had this, um, this hugely transformative experience with God through the Holy Spirit. He becomes a priest and then a monk and he founds this order of, uh, of Jesuits all based on this idea that God is actively at work in our lives. And if we learn to pay attention to that, then we can actually become more and more sensitive to, to that work that God is doing. Wow. And I feel like he, Ignatius would be someone who would understand how to do my job today at IJM way better than I know how to do it. Wow. So it's been fun <laughs> to sort of learn from him. Yeah. Um, you know, over, over these years. And I feel like we're, we're living through an age where these, there are these wonderful um, heroes that are, that are worth like listening to. I mean, at iGem, we have our own podcast called the new activist. Oh, yeah. I love and it. We have people on there all the time. Brenda Salter McNeil, Ben Higgins from the bachelor, like just talking about their own journeys um, to, to engage issues of justice as people of faith. And so like, I think all of those people are people that I, I'm just super grateful for. That's incredible. What is something in your life that the Holy Spirit is currently working to transform? Um, I, I think this may be sort of the Sunday school answer to that question, but I, I would say the the lifelong project that I feel like I re-engage um, all the time is this idea of learning to live out of my identity as a beloved child of God. Yes. Um, it just is like, it is the life work of the disciple. Right. And, um, and at every phase of life, I think the, as the layers of the onion peel back, what I experience is, Oh, I didn't realize I had so much of my identity stock placed in that thing. Mm -hmm. And now that that thing's gone, um, you know, I'm having trouble understanding even who I am. I'm disoriented, right? So the most recent version of that would be 
we are we are novice empty nesters here, Jenna and I. We have a, a 19-year-old son who's in his second year of college, uh, a 21-year-old daughter who's, a, who's finishing up nursing school in a year or so, and then a 20... Uh, 21, 23 year old daughter who's out of college and, and sort of starting off on her career. Wow. And that transition for me, um, you know, I had this sort of uh, kind of quaint emotional like challenges of like, oh my gosh, they're gone, you know. But the deeper <laughs> challenge was the sense of like for two decades, my a piece of my primary identity has been father to yeah. these little humans. Sure. And that, that piece. You know, it's still there, but it has significantly changed. And I didn't realize how much identity stock, so to speak, I had placed in that. Wow. Um, because I got, you know, affirmation for the kind of attached father that I was and all, all all of those things. So to have that, it's not until those things are gone that I realize, oh, here's another opportunity for me to sit and and peacefully allow in the midst of this dissonance that I'm feeling, allow myself to sink more deeply into my true identity as the beloved child Mm. of God. That's so good. Jim, that is something that I have definitely struggled with myself in, in like, um, the kind of similar kind of work that you're doing, um, in international development. And it became such a part of my identity that when God asked me to step away from it, I literally felt like I was going to be cutting my arm off. And God needed to sort of adjust my perspective and remind me of what actually makes up my true identity, which is a huge part of how we have ended up sitting here talking to you today, because that's a big piece of our message as collected. So I'm so glad that you were able to to share that. Thank you. Um, thanks well, so you're much welcome. being vulnerable with that. I like how you termed it identity stock. Yeah, that's that good. makes it feel so tangible. I'm like, where are we placing our identity? I just I connected to that metaphor. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, the first my my first experience of that actually was when I left teaching um, at a young age, you know, to go to go and join InterVarsity. That transition was um, I think I was blindsided by it because I had all these students who were, you know, not just in my classes, but I ran an after school club. We actually lived in the neighborhood that the school drew from. And so we had kids over, you know, and and once all of that was gone and I didn't have these sort of adoring students around me all the time, I was like, oh. I actually allowed myself to be defined by that in some ways that are yeah. actually not true and not all that healthy. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, so it was, it's, and, and at each stage, at each transition, I've noticed, oh, there's a version of that to be learned from at each step of the way. For sure. So as you've been rooting your identity in Christ and, you know, taking that identity stock, what would you say you have come to as your life message now? Oh, uh, you know, I, I my my friend Sean Litton, who's the uh, who's the president of IJAM now, is uh, actually has um, kind of a comical sort of impatience for people who don't know what would be on their bumper sticker of life. <laughs> um, and I'm kind of I, I'm kind of in in that place myself. I, I, it's sort of forming for me as a pursue the deep joy. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, and wait, you're um, a seven on the Enneagram, aren't you? Yes, so I'm that, a seven on the Enneagram. That, makes that gives sense. it all away. Michaela's <laughs> yeah. um, a seven a too. Seven, She's cheering you up. <laughs> <laughs> as a seven on the Enneagram, I've spent uh, too much of my life wasting time on counterfeit joy. Mm. So this idea of pursuing the deep joy 
is, yeah. uh, is meaningful to me. Wow. We're almost at our time. So thinking of the idea of following the deep joy, can you leave our listeners with some practical tips of how you do that or how they can do that? Yeah, I, you know, again, this probably sounds like a Sunday school answer, but um, it is in these daily disciplines mm-hmm. that I am rooted and grounded. Mm. Um, and, and often, you know, and it's not, it's not like I'm this super spiritual guy. Sometimes my, my daily stillness time at IJM is like fighting through 20 minutes of distraction mm-hmm. just to get to, you know, five or 10 minutes of, of a sense of focused time. In I'm the really glad of God. you said that. Sometimes it's 25 minutes of distraction, distraction, but the reality is it still goes in the wind column. Yeah. Cause so you did it. This, yeah, exactly. And I have this group of colleagues that are, that are, you know, I can see them from my desk engaging in their stillness practice as well. And their support has been, has been remarkable. So I would say, boy, I, you know, some way of um, relieving ourselves of any sort of guilt inducement to try to do more or be more mm-hmm. and free ourselves up to be in God's uh, generous and loving presence yeah. on a on a regular basis is is uh, is enormously helpful. Um, I also find super practically uh, that getting some exercise and getting good sleep. Yes. Um, I, I'm a different person if I can do that. For sure. Um, or I should say I'm a different person if I can't do that. <laughs> um, so those are, I mean, again, those are pretty stock answers, but they've been deeply true for me. But, you know, the, I feel like the more we hear other people say what we know to be true, the more we are able to convince ourselves that we need to take action where we're maybe yeah. slacking a little. So it's good. Even even the yeah. Sunday school answers are so good to hear. Like we, we heard them as yeah. kids over and over for a reason, and we got to oh, keep I- preaching. Go ahead. I just thought of one, like a, a way of thinking about pursuing the deep joy yeah. that actually is motivational for me as a seven. So in the process of cleaning out after our kids left, one of the things we unearthed was this old manual typewriter that one of my daughters had bought while she was in high school. And I set it down on, on a desk in our house. And I thought, here's what I'm going to do for my Lenten practice is uh, once every few days, I'm going to sit down at this old typewriter and I'm going to type out a letter to someone that I love and I'm going to tell them why I love them and why I appreciate them. I love that. And for me, right, this is a, I, I love, like I, I sort of let the person who it's going to be kind of bubble up in my mind. And I think about them until I start to smile because I love them. <laughs> and then I just sit down and write this letter. And it's been the most joyous thing to think through why am I grateful for all these people in my life and wow. to, to put that into some sort of concrete set of words. Love um, that. And that, that I would say like the fuel for that is actually joy. It's not discipline. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it does. And that has been helpful to me. Wow. I love that. That is such a great note to end on. I'm so glad you thought of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Jim, we are going to list all the ways that people can get a hold of you um, and, or find you on, on social media and on the web. So um, people will definitely be able to check out what you're doing at IJM and find your book and uh, read more about you. So thank you for, for being here with us and for taking time to chat. It, is it tr- has been such my a joy. pleasure. Thank you. Thanks yes. for asking great questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Thanks so much, Jim. Okay, you bet. All right. If you didn't catch what Jim said about their daily um, 
activity as a team at IJM. He, I mean, that was like one of the things that I'm like, I'm writing that down. I'm circling it. I am like savoring that Mm -hmm. for the rest of my life. (laughs) Just the daily discipline. But the daily discipline of praying Mm -hmm. together, getting quiet in your workplace. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, there there are all kinds of books out there for, you know, there's like the Happy Healthy Nonprofit and and books that address burnout. And I'm like, you know what? They don't, they don't need a book. They're doing it. Like they're they're living it out. And I'm I'm sitting here hoping that they will write a book mm-hmm. on how to have a healthy, strong spiritually sound ministry and organization. I mean, just that, $3 million a year on spiritual formation for the staff. That's incredible. But I also can't imagine in that kind of work being face-to-face with such ugliness um, in the world, how you could possibly manage without that level of investment. Mm -hmm. Um, That feels so necessary to me to be able to continue doing that work. Mm -hmm. And to do it in health. Right. Yeah. Well, and I like how he really stressed the idea that through doing this day in, day out, that's when you start to see the impact. I think so often, you know, I'll have a time of mm-hmm. like listening prayer, being still before the Lord, and it just kind of feels like, okay, I did it. Where Where is the results? Come on, God, what do you have to say to me today? Yeah. And sometimes, like he said, you spend 25 minutes of that being distracted to get then the one or two minutes of real rest and real stillness, but those matter. And then mm-hmm. you add that up over the course of months and years of doing this discipline, and that's where you see the growth and the change and the impact. Absolutely. You know, I think we live in such an instant gratification society. Mm-hmm. But doing this every day like they do, man, yeah, th- that's powerful. It was. I love that so much of what he talked about is um, is not putting pressure, mm-hmm. um, on yourself. Like I, I just, I felt that over it's and over again. It's tight not rope. a freaking tightrope. It's not a freaking tightrope. I love it I when like, he said that. That was amazing. Um, yeah, we be, don't have to walk on eggshells yeah, before the Lord. Yeah. And he was like, I mean, God is so trustworthy. Trust, trust him. Trust mm-hmm. that he can, he can handle it. Like he can, yeah. he's got it. Like, I don't know. I just, I kept thinking that like, mm-hmm. wow, like we put so much pressure yeah. on ourselves that God never intended for us to feel or oh, take yeah. on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think too, that in our time with Jim, it just reiterates how important it is to make sure that we have people with greater experience than what we have in our lives and mm. speaking into our lives and sharing their wisdom and their experience. And so um, I know that we have, you know, a lot of young 20-somethings in our, um, like in our followers and in our listeners, and we're grateful to have the opportunity in our 30s to be able to speak into your life, but we also seek out people in their 40s and 50s and 60s to speak into our lives. And I feel like that's where we glean a lot of our wisdom mm-hmm. um, from the leaders that are in our lives. And so... Um, if we're passing anything good on to you, it's probably from them, <laughs> those that have gone before us. Yeah. But um, anyhow, well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. And we hope you enjoyed our interview with Jim Martin. We'll be sure to put all his information in the show notes. See you back here next week. 
Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you would help spread the word. Check back here for weekly episodes dropping every Thursday. You can follow Collected on social media at Collected Workshops. Find The Collected Podcast on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash The Collected Podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Become a patron for as little as $1 a month to gain access to bonus content, early bird ticket sales, exclusive contests, and more. You can also find Tia at Tia McNally Notes, Jess at Spreza Foundry, and Michaela at The Creative Space NC. Collected proudly supports and partners with Flourish Kenya, a nonprofit working to prevent and support unplanned adolescent pregnancy in rural Kenya. Learn more at flourishkenya.org. Support for The Collected Podcast is provided by Clean Juice. Learn more at cleanjuice.com and be sure to check out their lifestyle arm at wellhappyandkind.com. Podcast recorded by Jacob Early. Music by Asaf Alon.